the First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I read an extraordinary book, Eleanor, by David Michaelis. And you probably know David. He's a wonderful author, bestseller, prize winner. He's written the Schultz and Peanuts, NCYF, other books. And this is going to become so much a part of all of our lives. And I'll tell you what I loved about Eleanor, more than she was one of my heroes when I was coming of age. But it reminded me that people grow, people can do extraordinary things, and even in the times we're living through, there is possibility as we grow along with Eleanor Roosevelt from her early years. And in this book, there's so much that one doesn't know, starting from the very beginning of her life. What a terrible childhood. But David, your connection too was so extraordinary. Your mother actually worked as a producer for one of Eleanor Roosevelt's shows. I, I grew up with Eleanor, thinking Ele- I must be somehow related to Eleanor Roosevelt. She was a presence in my childhood because my mother was a producer on Prospects of Mankind, which was the uh, public television uh, program, monthly program that Eleanor um, was doing at the time up in Boston. And uh, it was filmed at Brandeis every month. And my mother would fly down to New York to meet with Mrs. Roosevelt at East 74th Street, where she lived then, and go through the script and go through the guests and go through especially her closet, where my mother, being the only woman on the show, uh, only female producer, had to pick out which dress Eleanor would wear that month. And she had so few dresses at that point in her life that my mother always had the choice, was, was pretty anemic, but that Mrs. Roosevelt <laughs> was one of the extraordinary um, figures at the time coming into – public television, out of radio, out of her long experience as a communicator. So it was a very successful early, even before the, the, the French chef with Julia Child. It was the earliest right. show on WGBH that, was, that got an audience going. And when you think about it, how Eleanor Roosevelt, as a kid, because she had such a horrible childhood and had no real, she had role models in terms of her uncle, who mm-hmm. was president and other things, but he was a girl who could barely speak. She was self-conscious. She was shy. She had no sense of self. And yet through this troubled childhood and often she achieved extraordinary, in fact, more than most presidents. I think one of the things when I looked at her childhood that fascinated me was uh, on uh, one single topic was fear. She had enormous amount of fear. I think you would it was a childhood from hell, her father dying of alcoholism, drinking himself to death, who deep, dearly loved her, and she re- remained for the rest of her life enthralled to her memory of him. Her mother, um, highly narcissistic, highly uh, uh, preoccupied with her own social world and her own ambitions was not had no time for Eleanor. Eleanor was a great disappointment to her. Eleanor's feeling, I think, growing up was that she could never fulfill um, her parents' dreams of what she should or could be, and, and always was disappointing, she felt, um, her both of her parents. 
and in in a in a constant state of fear and anxiety. I think today she'd be you know medicated six different ways um, and diagnosed with all sorts of anxiety disorder. Right. What she did was she figured out step by step through her life how to get over those things by pushing herself to do what she needed to do. And World War One was a great uh, gift to her because it, it allowed her as a Red Cross volunteer and as a uh, political wife of the of the then uh, Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Franklin Roosevelt. She she went into um, uh, wards at St. Elizabeth's dealing with uh, sailors just back with, with shell shock from, from the war and, and began to really come to grips with her own fears and her own anxiety and learn that if you do the thing you think you cannot do, you can overcome slowly your own your own notions of of, of the world um, uh, and it, and its and its dangers. I think Eleanor's childhood is the defining uh, factor, but I think it's also in, in in as much as it created the Eleanor we now know. Um, but I one of the reasons I wrote. Uh, this book is because there was no one volume biography of Eleanor. And I think to see her childhood in context of her whole life, to see the whole arc of her life is is what you really need with Eleanor, because it is such an extraordinarily um, varied life from, from her childhood in the Victorian era to her uh, to her life as first lady of the world in, in the atomic age after the war, after FDR's death. So a single volume life was needed. And um, I could see that the first time I walked into the FDR library at Hyde park where you know the 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 gift shop is dominated by the massive tomes of blanche Weiss and cook's really good three volume biography and and then you know uh, uh um, eleanor and franklin by by joe lash but nothing else and nothing that shows you the the whole the whole world of eleanor roosevelt the, as, as she right. experienced it and i think that's what i was trying to do and and during those times and the fact is that she was so far Ahead of her times, it almost reads like fiction when she married her cousin, who was handsome and debonair, and and no one really took him seriously. But people took the fact that this good-looking, charming guy married this sort of homely, a little awkward young woman, and how as time went on and he had affairs, she accepted all this. It was extraordinary. Well, I think that she their relationship to function. Yeah, absolutely, and their relationship, um, which began as you as you point out, with with this cu- two fifth cousins marrying each other. I will say, I think that the reason Frank, I've I have long felt that the reason Franklin Roosevelt uh, married Eleanor, or and and felt the way he felt about her, was partly because she believed in him, and she supported very strongly. He needed after his mother, who was the, his great supporter and champion, he needed someone who was going to believe in him, and she did, and. At the same time, she was the niece of the president of the United States, and it's something that is very important, I think, to see through Franklin's eyes. Is that he was? This was a pretty interesting package to him. Uh, she was. She had beautiful blonde hair. She had sparkling blue eyes, a dazzling smile. She was deeply insecure and shy. Yes, but at 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 Christmas, at at different times during the year, she brought Franklin Roosevelt to the White House. You know, on her on Eleanor's arm came Franklin. Right young Franklin Roosevelt to the White House to, to, to idolize with, as Eleanor did too, um, Uncle Ted or Cousin Ted to Franklin. And Teddy Roosevelt was, Theodore Roosevelt in the White House was a, was a dazzling figure. And, and, uh, and I think it was where they both learned their first lessons in, 
in the robust idea that Theodore Roosevelt had that government had a place in people's lives. It's where that really began for them. But their, their marriage, as you point out, is one of the most fascinating in American history. It's very contemporary. Yeah. I think people today really can see that it, it's one of those marriages that, that gets along despite itself um, and where it becomes a partnership and where they really, really understand each other uh, deeply and at the same time give each other an enormous amount of freedom to do what they had to do both personally and and in their intimate lives. Um, it's really remarkable. It's, a, it's, it's very heartening, actually, I find, in the end, uh, to see what Franklin and Eleanor were capable of doing despite their many differences. Right, and despite the, the times, it was almost shocking. And, of course, yeah. there are so many tired mother-in-law jokes, but she truly <laughs> had the mother-in-law from hell yeah. because, you know, Franklin was so devoted to his mother, and the mother-in-law ran the show in many cases, but there's something about her that recognized something in Eleanor that she really made a difference in her life. That's right. Sarah Delano Roosevelt gets a pretty bad rap, and she sometimes deserves it, uh, but mostly... She's a pretty strong figure in the, in the, in, on Eleanor's side when it, when it really came to it, especially when, as you pointed out earlier, Franklin's earliest um, known affair uh, in his marriage with Lucy Mercer, who was Eleanor's social secretary. Uh, Franklin fell in love with her during the war, and when Eleanor discovered it, she offered Franklin a divorce. It was really Sarah, uh, Franklin's mother, Eleanor's mother-in-law, who said, you know, no. No, you said to both of them individually, no, this is not going to happen this way. First of all, Delano's did not get divorced. Second of all, if you're going to be president of the United Mm -hmm. States, you're not going to get get to be president in those days by divorcing and then marrying a a, 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 a Catholic who who was in no sense the iron sort of frame on which to stretch a, a presidential career the way Eleanor was. I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt, I noticed, you know, when, when in the earliest part of their, uh, she and Franklin, when they were first falling in love, and he had lost an election as a Harvard sophomore, i sorry, as a Harvard senior, um, she said to him, you know, you have this next election coming up for the, for the next uh, uh, thing in the, in the class. Send me your, you know, send me your speech. She wanted to see his speech, put some marks on it, Tell him he was saying this the right way or the wrong way. She, she was right in there from the very beginning, supporting him in his, in his single-minded ambition to become the president of the United States, which, as, you, as we remember, was, you know, was nearly, nearly derailed forever by polio. But to come back from that, right. to come back she, and become what they both became, which were leader, global leaders, leaders not just of the United, in the United States, but, but of the world. And what was so amazing to us, the readers, was that you see the development of this human being, not a perfect person, and her views grew along the way. When it came to race, she was not a star in her early youth. She had a lot to learn, and she did when it came to that. And with women's rights, all these things she grew into and literally changed the world. I couldn't agree more, and I think that transformation uh, from from the early years, uh, where you see you see anti-Semitism in her writing, you see uh, her slow walking, uh, even uh, in the early days as first lady, you see her slow walking integration. Um, she was doing the best she could as, as she went. I think where Eleanor's greatness comes is from her absolute ruthless honesty with when facing herself, um, her willingness 
to look at herself clearly, to know where her, her faults were, and, and to not necessarily have the answers, to, to, to not cling to what was safe, um, to not resolve every issue, but to, to remain open and listening and, and able to always recognize in people the individual that, that was right before her. Um, you know, it was one of the great themes of her life that she saw people not as parts of causes or, 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 or as part, political uh, people. She saw everyone as an individual, and I think it's one of her great gifts. And she, she does this when she's even figuring out one of the most complex things in the world, which is how do you, how do you define human rights for, for over 50 nations uh, with all their different cultural differences, with all their different uh, uh, languages and, and beliefs and systems, how do you create a document, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights after the war, that will define what it is to be a human being and what rights we have? I think Eleanor was uniquely qualified by that point to, to bring that document into, fr into fruition at the United Nations to create the expectation that we could, for the at least foreseeable future, expect these rights to be given to humans right. and not allow another World War II, another Holocaust, another uh, 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 catastrophe, which the atomic bomb was, was signaling at the time, that, that, we were, that we were not necessarily in control of our fate as a planet. And I think that's why Eleanor remains to this day one of the figures that we look to um, for, if not answers, at least to, to, to understand where we are in terms of a world that does not necessarily lend itself to our control anymore. We have to know how to work together in a community, do this together. This, these were the themes of her life, and it's, and it's why I think her life remains really vivid to us. Eleanor by David Michaelis. And, you know, um, when you read the book and you read about their lives and Roosevelt having affairs early on, Eleanor, bisexual, but, you know, who talked about anything like that in those days? And the press was fairly discreet, but it's all in there. Now, you knew more than most people because your mother had worked for her, but still, people are shocked to hear these things because it wasn't headlines every day. Right. Well, it's all about context. I mean, I think the great gift that biography can give you, it gives me even just researching and writing it, and then I hope it gives the reader. You get a sense that the context for these things that we understand now, for instance, when I began, I always sort of thought of Eleanor as kind of like the, uh, the gay Thomas Jefferson. Um, in other words, she's a figure that we all thought we knew something about, but in fact, when you get down into the into the underbrush and start reading her letters, in, in, for instance, to Lorena Hickok, the a AP reporter that she fell in love with uh, right. during Franklin Roosevelt's first, uh, first run for, for the presidency, you really begin to see what this was. And, and you understand it was, it, that, that Eleanor was not a lifelong lesbian in, the, in, in a way that she would have identified that way or can be identified, but that this was a love relationship. And it was a relationship that was also eroticized and, and, and was a full-blown Love, love affair that actually went on for about seven years in its intensity, but they remained friends there all, all through their lives, Eleanor and Lorena Hickok. But that it's not a, it's not a moment at which, um, by today's standards, she would be, or when it was first written about in the 80s and 90s, this wasn't a coming out for Eleanor Roosevelt. This was, this was a moment where she was finally connecting with someone on a level that she had missed for so long. She was finally at a level of intimacy with someone where she could trust and be trusted, love and be right. loved. And that's where you really begin to understand her as a person, is, is how 
much of her life she was disappointed by men, how much of her life she was disappointed by people uh, close to her, how much she was looking for, what she craved, right. and what her lifelong uh, uh, quest was, which was which was to be close, to to understand, to be seen, to be heard, uh, to be to be known. And I think all women felt that to some extent, and that's why, in a way, her her situation was universal. Um, you know, I think it's it's so important to remember with Franklin and, and Eleanor. I mean, Eleanor and Franklin that they were they were really quite normal people in a sense of living in a completely abnormal way at an abnormal time. I mean, they, they were they were very neighborly. You know, they were very easygoing. Yes, they were privileged. Yes, they were aristocrats. Yes, they were people that today you'd see, you know, in but they were very, very recognizable and understandable to people. And that's why they had this gift. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt, certainly as a politician, and Eleanor had this gift of connecting uh, to people up and down the social classes. And, and they weren't stuck in their class. Polio and other and other strangenesses that had happened yeah, to them in the their life. The great equalizer. Yeah, great equalizer, exactly. That's the word. And, and also, I think um, they both really captured, I mean, they captured media and they captured Eleanor it was the first first lady to have a have a syndicated column her radio her voice on radio I mean I'm talking to the first lady of New York radio right now you understand this Joan she was able to connect to people through their media through the the newsreels through her her voice on the radio connected to people in ways that no first lady had ever done before and very few since by the way I mean she really became you know it's become our our trope, in a way, with first ladies that they have an issue. You know, Michelle, for Michelle Obama, it was nutrition. For Laura Bush, it was uh, it was literacy. Eleanor was almost too holistic to have only right. one. You know, she, she was sort of an equal opportunity first lady in terms of having many, many different causes. And I think that um, if you remember that she was the one who first addressed the United States on Pearl Harbor Sunday, the president came to the Congress the next day to declare a war and, you know, December 7th, a date which will live in infamy, that great speech. That's the next day. That night, Sunday night, after the attack, when America was at its most fearful, at its right, most apprehensive, railing. that's when Eleanor was going to go on the radio for her Sunday night over the cups uh, radio program sponsored by a coffee maker. And she went on the air and she said, we've been bombed. This has happened. We're under siege in, 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 in not just in Pearl Harbor, but in Guam and in, in the Philippines, where we, we, we are in an unprecedented situation here. And I depend on you, the people in the United States, to remain calm. And she appealed to them as a mother, saying she had children who were already in the war zone. Uh, her sons were already on naval ships in danger. She had a, a daughter on the West Coast, which was at the time seen to be a, spot, a, a really high, highly dangerous spot. And she came very carefully, one by one by one, through all the issues and came to people and said, I believe in you, in the absolute solidity of the people of the United States. And it was a calming and incredibly balancing and stabilizing uh, thing for her to do at that moment. And I always feel with Eleanor that she's the person who will step forward. And I felt this in my own life as a child when I saw her the one time I saw her on, on, the, uh, on the set at, uh, at WGBH. Uh, this was someone who brought goodness. You know, this is a solid gold human being who brought goodness into the room when she walked in. And you felt it. You know, you but felt you, that. But, you know, David, what is so interesting to me is that when she spoke, or when she did 
talk to the American public. Mm-hmm. People believed her. They needed her. They yeah. wanted that. Where today, it makes you realize what we're missing by all this nonsense that goes yeah. on. Yeah. We've lost sight of everything. Has there been a first lady, you think, that has come anywhere close to the kind of influence and power which she didn't even want in the beginning that she attained? Well, not. I mean, on a basic level, Eleanor Roosevelt was first lady for of the United States for 12 years. So that alone gave her a, a, a duration that, that is, exceeds everyone else. I, I think the current I think the current first lady, Mrs. Biden, is doing a one, wonderful job. I mean, I, I you know, this is the, the, we're finally back to someone who cares. And I think that's an important, really important part of this. Um, I think there have been other first ladies who have done remarkable things in, in individual areas and in and individual moments, but nothing like Eleanor's widespread and holistic uh, approach. I think the thing also about Eleanor was that when you walked in, when she walked into a room, you didn't just feel her sense that she cared and that she would care about you, which she did convey, but that she cared about the country and that she cared about the United States as an idea and that she knew the Constitution and she had read it and she understood the values of the people, that we the people are the three most important words in the Constitution and that she brought that back to you and she demanded of you the obligation that you bring to your community, not to the country, but to your community, to the person next door, to the person across the drugstore counter, to the person on the corner, that you bring to the people around you this sense that we are in this together. And that's what she was able to do. Uh, there's nothing like that. That's our strength in this country when we can pull together. It's our great weakness when we pull apart the way we have and the exactly. way much of Eleanor's um, challenge was during times that were as hard as the one we're going through now. And that's why I think her ability to go one by one by one, person by person, and say, we're in this together, we the people, and, and I depend on you, you the people of the United States, to remain solid, to remain together, to pull together. All that is, I mean, that's what leadership, and, that, and that's what leadership is, that's what she gave. Um, she did it quite naturally, because it's where she came from, it's who she was, it wasn't a put on. You know, she wasn't someone studying the notes on her speeches, they just came right. right out of her. And she asked us to be more imaginative, she asked us to be um, more kind, she asked us to be trusting of ourselves. So those are the things a parent asks you and, 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 and encourages you to do. They were very parental, and I think that we're, we're missing that a bit. I think we've lost the tra- lost track um, of, of where our leaders fit into our you know, psychic lives in a way, uh, our emotional lives, um, because we've been so alienated from them uh, by so many things. And I, and I think that Eleanor was, was always, you know, when Franklin Roosevelt died, when Eleanor died, th- these were moments at which people felt they'd lost a family member. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I still can remember my mother when Roosevelt died, mm. cr- almost screaming on the street, crying yeah. hysterically. Incredible. But, you know, yeah. the, the thing is, the Roosevelts had um, six children, one passed away mm. early yeah. on. And they, imagine even those children, because their mother, who gave them a lot of autonomy and freedom and everything else, wasn't really around a lot because she was constantly on the road or going to wherever she was needed. Yep. 
Absolutely. And, and, and as well, Eleanor, who was very aware of herself and her own faults, would have been the first to say she she'd been a complicated mother because she didn't have one, of course, herself. And she, she didn't, didn't know. Right. She didn't know. But she would she had a she had a, a great fault when she was younger, which was that when she was angry or when she was hurt or resentful, she would withdraw into a she'd clam up. She, she'd go into a cold you know, withdrawn place. And her kids said it was just hell on them. It was I'm miserable. Sure. And of course, as, as it would be. And, and as she learned out of, and, um, but it was one of those um, things that, that just dominated the house when they were young and they never forgot. But Eleanor always transforming out of what she had come from was very aware of that and became actually a wonderful grandmother. And I was touched. She was a wonderful mother-in-law herself. Her daughters-in-law remember her so fondly. She really committed herself to them as people, as friends, um, and, and was kind and, and generous. And they, they, each of them had different stories to tell about that. And I, I was really touched that she had taken the lesson of her own life with her own mother-in-law and resolved to be a, a good one on her, you know, on, on, on her watch. Right. Thank you so much, David. Great job. Joan, Eleanor. thank you for, I gotta say you, your reading of this book and of this story and your understanding of it through your own is so valuable and thank you. And you are the first lady of New York radio. And I can't thank tell you. you how flattered I am that, that you would have time for this. So thank you. We loved having you on. Much appreciated. Available online, everywhere books are sold, and it's really a very important book to read. And I'm telling you guys, it reads like fiction. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.